how can you be part of a religious community that straight up sometimes it feels like the church is trying to hold the church seems to be stuck in their ways when the rest of the why are they so obsessed with keep trying to give answers i would never be a part of a church that is not welcoming the church is the most vocal political voice against some churches still the one they claim that worship was the actual how can your story be good that is from the majority of people on the church end up going to hell? Like, how is that actually good? It seems like so much of the church is more concerned with being a good anti-critical than they are being homophobic, too narrow, judgmental, disconnected from what is truly happening in the real world. Ah, the church needs therapy. Welcome to the newest episode of The Church Needs Therapy. And today, our special guest, second-time guest, the second, only the second two-time guest we've ever had. Brandon Robertson's done it a couple of times and now you. So it's two out of, and also I just realized this is the 99th episode of the Church Needs Therapy. So one more before a hundred. So oh you're goodness. right there. You're right there. Yeah. That feels cool. so special. Oh, yeah. cool. Yeah. It's yeah. awesome to be back with you. Yes. Amanda Held Opel. And Amanda is an author, speaker, and songwriter. She writes about faith, grief, and creativity and believes in the power of community, ritual, shared worship, and storytelling to heal even our deepest wounds. Amanda has spent 15 years as a social worker. And has that been updated? Is it longer than 15 years? Or is that... No, no I'm most, I've, I've worked in nonprofit and I've okay. worked in humanitarian aid for... Now I've been, I've been writing for two years now, so... Um, kind yeah. of getting out of the nonprofit gotcha. world, out of yeah. that, and and it's been different. It's been really yeah, different. Totally, yeah. yeah. And she she lives in the mountains of Boone, North Carolina. Is that still accurate? Is that that is still accurate? Nice. And that'll probably always be the case. Nice, cool. With <laughs> Not planning husband. on moving. Great. Yeah, that's that's. It is special when you feel rooted in a place. It is, and to have it that, is. yeah, with yeah. her husband and two young daughters. And she recently published the book, Holy Unhappiness, God, Goodness, and the Myth of the Blessed Life. The title alone is just poised to ruin any potluck by so many sweet old ladies. How dare you do that? Amanda, thank you so much for being with the listeners and the podcast today and with me personally. This is great. Oh, it's really good to be here. Thanks for having me back. And you, so obviously the new book, Holy Unhappiness, which we're going to get to, and I just... You know, I'll mention this again, but the moment I just even saw the phrase like emotional uh, prosperity gospel, I just like smirked and laughed. I'm like, that is just too good. And also the moment I get it, I'm like so immediately real Mm -hmm. and like almost visceral. Like I get I don't even have to I don't even have to know everything else. I get why that is such a thing and why that that's such a good phrase, by the way, just Mm -hmm. for writing purposes. It's so good. No. But so you're, we're going to talk about the book, but let's begin with a little bit more of the human element of like what's driving you, right? Even yeah. you just mentioned two years sort of out of the more organizationally oriented, you know, nonprofit, humanitarian, all of that into writing. And what I wonder is after everything you've been through and all that you've seen and all of the reasons that you probably have to be disillusioned or to be cynical about life and our precious faith tradition that we love and about church. Like, how do you, how have you, and how do you keep having the desire and energy to create and share hopeful work with the world? Mm. Well, I mean, I don't really think it's always fair to say that I write for therapy or I write to process my stuff because in some ways I'm like, that's not really fair to the reader. Mm, <laughs> like, mm, I need mm. to make some more progress with a trained <laughs> professional maybe before I publish this. So I am working with a trained professional counselor mm. as well, but, <laughs> but it is part of, I do think there is something helpful to saying, this is what I've learned in my years of observing kind of suffering at kind of a, a mass scale, you know, having worked mm. in the the humanitarian aid industry, having borne witness to some of that and, and then to my own personal griefs and losses, which have been profound. There are mm. things that I feel like I'm learning that at some point you start to say, how, how do I steward this? It's, it's mm. not about, um, showboating it or, um, you know, uh, I don't know, 
capitalizing on it, I guess. Mm. And that can always, I think, be the danger, always be the risk. It's it's more like you feel that you might need to steward some of what you've learned and the knowledge that you've gained. And I um, and to be honest with you, I'm not exactly sure if writing is my full-time thing going forward. When I mm. signed uh, my book contract, it was a two-book contract because both of these books were um, partially written at the time that I signed the contract. Nice. So I, I wrapped them up, I released them. And now I'm kind of, I was telling um, my dad, I'm like, I feel like I'm like 18 year old Amanda, again, trying to decide what my college major should be mm. because I quit my job in aid and I wrote these two books. And now I'm kind of trying to figure out like, well, what's next, you know, mm. and what, what do I do with some of the things that I've learned and, and, um, and stewarding the place I am in life with two little girls and um, pretty involved in my church. So, um, but you ask why, why keep writing? I think that's what it is, is because I care about the message and I care mm. about people not feeling alone in their confused experiences and their mm. non, um, maybe I want to say non-traditional experiences. What I mean is that like, if you, if faith has not felt the way you were told it was supposed to feel, mm. I want you to know you're not alone and that that's mm. not unusual. You're not failing. You've not made a mistake. It's just the life of faith is complex. It's emotionally complex. It's emotionally challenging mm. and that's okay. And you're normal. And that that's why I keep writing. I think is because I don't want to feel alone. I want other people to join me on that journey. And I want other people to not feel alone too. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's, you know, the the awareness to not capitalize on things, you know, because I've I've like I've seen that it's it's really strange. Like the it's a part of the bypassing journey for, I think, mm -hmm. highly productive people is the immediate thing is how does this become something for others as opposed to what is the depth that this suffering, this disruption is doing within me? And then. Mm -hmm. A lot after out of that, out of the ashes of that, of the, of, if you're paying attention and you're doing the work, there is wisdom yeah. to be shared. That's a gift. You know, there yeah. is life yeah. to be shared. You are doing an embodied journey of death and resurrection. And there's always wisdom to be shared and presence to be had with others after that. But I think, you know, some of the people are like, oh, this is going to be a book one day. God's going to yeah. use you're like, yeah, but not before you <laughs> yes it's that commodification it's that idea that if we don't somehow capitalize on an experience um that it can't be good that we have to create the silver lining we have to create the redemptive purpose for this pain and one of those things we could do is we could write a book we could start a blog we could start a podcast we could start an instagram account and some of those things like you said if the inner work has been happening and god is teaching you and you want to steward it we need people to do that. We need people mm. to do that. But I was, it, 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 it took me a while to, before I felt comfortable stepping into that because I needed that work to happen just within me first. Mm, and I needed to be able to assess whether or not, is this just, is this a coping mechanism? And, you mm. know, we're, ever, we're all coping, you know, what I mean? we're all coping <laughs> one way or the other. And I don't know if we'll ever fully escape that, but if this is primarily a way for me to cope, to say all those mm. bad things that happened, I need to make them good. I need to rewrite the story. I need to write the redemption story and publish a book. Like if that's what it is, then it won't satisfy, it won't heal. That's not the, the, the healing work. Mm. Um, but, you know, I, I am hopeful though, that I'm far enough along on the journey mm. that mm. I can look back with some perspective and mm. offer, offer some words of solace. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what's funny about what you said. I love the part of you. It's like, am I using this for coping? You're like, well, part of you is like, who knows exactly? Maybe a little bit as I'm doing that. And I love that the container that can hold like, hey, maybe a part of it is that for me, even when yeah. I do this, like sometimes when you see people in what appears to be the most virtuous moments, you're like, honestly, they're just self-soothing. This is the way they do it. And it appears to be very moral sometimes. <laughs> that it's I think that's a, that's a humbling thing. And I think for some people, Enneagram wisdom can help them mm -hmm. see these things. We're like, yeah. sometimes the part, our superpowers, the parts of us where the volumes turned up super high, where you're like, that mm -hmm. person's courageous, that person's yeah. a hard worker, or that person's very like thoughtful or whatever. You're like, 
the things that our ego might want to present as our most virtuous, I'm like, those are actually just the best coping mechanisms you just felt came with along the way. And now it's like a superpower. And if actually, if you go, keep going into those things, it's going to destroy you in the end. So it's oh, so true. <laughs> it's so true. And I don't, you know, I don't know. I don't know that we ever um, purify our motives fully this mm. side of mm. eternity you know what i mean mm. like i'm not sure it's funny i just on sunday i preached on that passage in um philippians where paul's like well there are pre- people preaching the gospel to try to make trouble for me but i don't really care the gospel's going i'm just like <laughs> paul dude like what's what's going on man like these guys are ha- trying to they're having it out with you and you're like I, anyway, but I, I kind of look to that verse a lot to say mm. that, like, I, I I don't know that God needs our motives and our heart and our intentions to be totally 100 mm, percent exactly. redeemed, free from our fallen nature in order mm. to use it somehow. Nevertheless, oh. we still um, cling to yeah. Christ, to grace, yeah. to, to, to to to, you know, hopefully um, being made pure. And, and, you know, if you wait, if you wait till your motives are totally pure, you'll probably never do anything. And exactly. yeah, and, probably, and that's, totally. that's what, that's why grief I think is so hard is because mm. grief muddies the waters on everything. Mm. There's almost this sense of like, I, I call it grief euphoria, but it's not, that's, it's not euphoria, but it's the sense of like, you survived something really terrible and it feels like a superpower in some way. Mm. And you feel like I need to do this and I need to do this and I need to make this right. And this person I love died, but I'm alive and I need to make the most of every day. And, and so you get super mm. on the one hand, you get super productive and super um, excited about all these ideas that you have. You feel like you have to just kind of make happen. Mm. Um, and, but that's also running simultaneously to the exhaustion of grief and the burnout of mm. grief and the anxiety of grief. And to live those two lives at the same time has been kind of a strange experience. Um and you're just in the meantime with your therapist and your friends mm. and the people who care about you, just trying to sort out what's mine to do right now, what's mm. mine to steward well um, with that's these competing good. feelings, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, that's so good. And I, I just, I love before you know we talk about the book or the work. You know, I love capturing for people, or at least entering, even just for a sec or ten minutes into the human. Mm-hmm. element of all of this you know i think that that was one of my saving graces like you know pastoring my wife and i like mm-hmm. being church planners and leading a church for 10 years or just about 10 years was you know i can i've got my prophetic thing you know systems and we're tearing it down and i can do all of that and i have you know and i still do you know saying these things but i think there's a there's a bit of a the the humbling part and the universal compassion that arises out of the deep experience of like people are are trying their best even the yeah. people that are pain in my ass even yeah. the people that are critical of me even the people that think i'm dangerous even the people who have caused destruction within me i know i tell people no matter how distorted someone's behavior is there's an inner logic to it for mm-hmm, them mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah and the inner logic as as much as it's filtered through their own trauma dysfunction or whatever it is, so when it comes out it's hurtful yeah. and we have to and we have to be able to name it for what it is it is hurtful you might need boundaries that relationship's over or whatever it is but i know experientially for them there's an inner logic that for them is that's their way of showing love and it's toxic yeah. Yeah. And or, or these are ways they're trying to survive. These are coping mechanisms. And so to me, I'm like, that's a real important tension to name it. It's not it's not letting people get away with things. I'll name mm-hmm. it for what it is. And this will affect our relationship. But at a deeper level, I'm not holding on to bitterness because like you're trying and so am I. And I yeah. to me, there's a, that's the shared human thing of like, no matter how yes they're insane to you i get yeah. it based on how they treated you i get how why you would say that yeah but they're just trying you know yes yeah oh, that is such a like, that's such a gracious way to approach life but that we're all coping with something somehow mm-hmm. and very few people well, there are certainly just downright malicious people but most people feel justified in their actions and i think for mm-hmm. me one of the, my biggest goals in this last year has been this idea of maintaining the image of god mm-hmm in my mind 
for other people. Like I will not let that person, whatever their actions are, even if you're right, even if I need to set boundaries, even if I need to, to call out destructive behavior, I will not let that behavior destroy the image of God in my mind of that that person holds. Like they mm-hmm. are image bearers who deserve grace and dignity and value no matter no matter what. And that's same for me too. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter that's how many so, yeah. times I fail. Like I have not been my best self, I would say this year. Like it was pretty stressful to finish this book. Anyone mm-hmm. who has a two-year-old and a four-year-old knows that those are the years that you are not your best self. Mm-hmm. Like you're mm-hmm. not sleeping that great. Your, your patience is being tested. And so I'm trying to say, okay, I, I can Im- look at what I can pr- improve. I can be honest with myself about where I'm at, but I will not allow myself to, to destroy the image of God in of myself in my mind, if that makes mm, yeah. sense. Like I yeah. will always be an image bearer, no matter what I do, treat yourself with dignity, treat mm. others with dignity, treat them with understanding, treat yourself with understanding. Uh, we're all just trying to make it in this kind mm. of wild world that we live in. Yeah. Yeah. I love some, I think for people who have I think how we suffer in our like mid thirties to forties. Cause mm-hmm. I tell people, I'm like, bro, your thirties ain't, they ain't the same as your twenties and, yeah. you know, yeah. entering into your forties and entering into what based on wisdom can become a threshold for your second half of life. Yeah. Isn't, I would argue it probably isn't for most people when it comes to wisdom, but I think can be, and I think there's a great invitation there mm-hmm. and the humility of that middle space because we're coming to terms with our own fragility. We're coming to terms mm-hmm. with what life is and even more painfully what it isn't. Yeah. And yeah. all of the surrendering of illusions and how painful yes. that is and the the radical forms of acceptance that allow us to, to cross over that threshold. Well, like one of my best friends, we joke around where he's like, man, in my twenties, I want to conquer the world. He's on my mid thirties. I'm just trying to get one good night of sleep. Oh man. It's so true. <laughs> like that's the thing about your thirties is like, you've learned that many of your dreams have gone to die and you're saying you're, you're bidding farewell to many of your dreams. You're learning about what it really means to be a caretaker, both for young children and possibly aging parents, your body's starting to, fa- I mean, I've been very blessed mm. overall with with an able body and and with good health, mm. but there are, there have been some significant things that have come up for me health. What that all happens in your thirties. And, you know, it's funny you should say that because maybe this book really is just a response to thirties, my thirties. Mm. And I'm about mm. to turn 40. I'm, you're all I'm, ho- holy unhappiness. You're all horror. <laughs> what your 30s god goodness and the 30s kicked my butt (laughs) like you know it's just like i don't know but but yeah i'm 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 turning 40 in you know next next this coming year and um maybe i'm just processing my 30s i don't know (laughs) yeah that that the wisdom of that middle ground is a it's a it's a funny thing and and even what you touched upon, you know, you touched upon the more depth of being able-bodied, you know, and not mm-hmm. dealing with unexpected mm-hmm. forms of physical stuff, you know, mm-hmm. and what a what a gift that is and what a challenge it is for people when those things mm-hmm. come up, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. or have been or have always carried things like that, yeah. you know. Yeah. And you didn't even touch on the more superficial part of just what it looks like when you see a photo of yourself, you're like, damn, do I look like that? <laughs> I know. <laughs> I tell I people know. now, I'm like, cause I, my wife and I would both turn 39 like later this year. Okay. Yeah. So I'd be seeing some photos with the right lighting. I'm like, all right, like, we're, okay. we're good. We're good. We're, doing, we're good. We're doing, we're doing okay. Like my, my wife is definitely aging better. My wife's Asian, you know? And so I tell her, I'm like, babe, like when we're both 30, we look similar, but we, we, we both surf and we've been in the sun so much. I'm like when we approach 40, I am going to start to leather and you're still going to look amazing. So I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, but- no, I spent so much of my twenties out in the sun. I always had out, I had some outdoor jobs in my early twenties and I'm like, I need a skincare routine. Like I have, I have put, <laughs> I put zero thought into that. That's, what is that what you're supposed to do when you turn 30, right? It's like skincare. I don't know. Like, yeah, but, and at the same time, you're like, oh my goodness, I feel so blessed to be getting old like that's, mm. that's how I'm trying to reframe it I'm like my wrinkles are a sign that I have survived this long and mm. that's cool like you know that's a good thing so mm. um yes. and but yeah I know what you mean it is there is something where you, it's that it's that kind of existential dread of your youth fleeting mm. Mm. and it's real I, and it happens yeah. and you can't stop it you can't absolutely stop it. I really have you know like 
I mean, obviously I can joke around about it, but even more so, not just in a conceptual, but in a personal way, you're like, you have to intentionally age in order to do it well. Mm-hmm. Mm, where you're at, great. you're like, I'm not where I was when I was young. Yeah. Not going back to that. Yeah. I can't, you know, and the wisdom of never wanting to go back to your 20s comes mm-hmm. from so much of the acceptance that comes from where we're going and where we don't yeah. need to be. And also just when you go through enough and I've been through enough in my life, like I, I couldn't do the last 20 years again, like emotionally. Yeah. Yeah, and I have a, true. I have a very, very high tolerance for emotional pain. Hmm. I have a very low tolerance for physical pain. Like people hmm. want to work out hard. I'm like, nah, no, I'm good. Like CrossFit, I'm straight. No, thanks. <laughs> but for, that was a part of my awakening at 18 when I had this spontaneous awakening moment with God and into where I'm at now was the ability to be fully present to what is within me or around me and to not withdraw awareness, avoid, distract, and be able to hold that. That's why we, in your last book, we talked before about it's funny writing about the things we know everyone needs, but no one wants, you know, and yeah, the, yeah. the funny madness of that. Cause that's a part, yeah. that's a big part of my own story too. So, mm, yeah. but yes, aging, approaching holy unhappiness, or maybe this is what the thirties is like for the second edition for a reprint. We can choose. Welcome to your thirties. This was just my thirties. <laughs> Um, but now, you know, I mentioned, you know, that, that phrase, right. Emotional prosperity gospel. How did that, I love that. I think that alone really like captures so much within it. Right. Where did that initially come from and how is that sort of central to the book and what we're really getting at here? Yeah. Well, I think that, you know, most Christians I know don't subscribe to the traditional prosperity gospel, which is, you know, this iteration of Protestant Christianity that believes that um, God does not want you to suffer. God wants you to be healthy. He wants you to be wealthy. And if you are just faithful and believe the right things and have, if you have enough faith in his goodness and even declare a word of faith that he Mm. will make you rich. He will make you healthy. He will heal your diseases. And I never subscribe to that. And most Mm. people I know never subscribe to that. And they would even say, well, it's a pariah within Christendom. It's a, it's a false theology. Suffering is part of life. God is with us when we suffer. Um, We we grow close to God through our suffering, all of that stuff. Um, but I did realize that I had subscribed to a more kind of subtle spinoff, something that, yeah, like you said, I call the emotional prosperity gospel. Um, I've heard, I, and I give Caitlin Beatty, um, I, I mentioned her in the book, because she she actually talks about something else called the sexual prosperity gospel, which is this mm. belief that, you know, this this teaching within the purity movement, that if you just save yourself for marriage, like you're going to have like the most satisfying sex life you could ever imagine you know so it's just like you you subscribe to the the purity um you know whatever the rules of the purity culture were and this was Mm. the promise of Mm. of sexual prosperity within your marriages and that's why many christian marriages were like whoa this you know this isn't this was not automatic this took more learning than i thought Mm -hmm, this this there was more healing to do than i thought so she talks a little bit about this but about that and I kind of think of it more generally in terms of e- emotional prosperity. What are the feelings that we were told we could expect to have if we if we played by all the rules, if we believed all the right things, if we made all these good decisions? And so the way I kind of break down the book is I kind of it's kind of topical. And I almost tell people like it can almost be read as a series of nine essays. And if there's mm. one you're not interested in, just skip it and go to the next mm. one. Mm. Um But, you know, what are the expectations we had and were given within evangelicalism about what work, what our jobs would feel like, what our marriages would feel Mm. like, what our what parenting would feel like, uh, what ministry, community and church and and living in our bodies? uh, You know, what what were the expectations we were given? Um, Mm. And I think this really solidified for me because I wrote a chapter about suffering for me, Mm. this this um this ideology really solidified for me when I experienced grief, because I realized I went into grief with a long list of expectations of what it would feel like. And it, it always seemed strange to say, oh, I was disappointed in my experience of grief. Like, what did you expect? Like a party? No, but <laughs> I did think I thought that God 
like would would give you yeah, i didn't think sense. i was like really gonna have to hurt yeah. i thought i would yes. get it but yeah yeah i thought it would be hard but i didn't know it would be torture i thought that god would give me this deep sense of inner peace that peace that passes understanding i thought the holy spirit would comfort me i thought that i would find the redemptive story arc immediately i thought i'd see the silver linings and then when i didn't I thought, well, where did all those expectations come from? It was this mm-hmm. emotional prosperity gospel. And it's I think it's part of the way we draw people into Christianity. We say, follow Jesus and you'll feel good. You make all the right decisions and life will be eat. No, you'll suffer. You'll suffer, but you'll feel fine mm-hmm. while you're suffering. It's mm-hmm. like we we somehow kind of understood the theology of suffering, but not the experience of suffering. Mm-hmm. And that's really what this book is about. Mm-hmm. That's so good. Yeah, the I think to have the the nine different elements, you know, work and all the different things you cover, there's so much. This is where, and I let people know this, like, I had no awareness of anything evangelical until I was probably 18, right? Oh, wow. Yes, I did. (laughs) I think we talked about this last time and I was like, oh, how interesting. (laughs) And, you know, in obviously the gift of bringing your children through a tradition that not only tells the story of life, death, and resurrection of Christ, but embodies it, you know, that's mm-hmm. a great gift. Yeah. And I know, and it's cool. Cause I know I hear in your story, you know, where you're like, you know, we had good experiences, you know, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> through that, which is awesome. But for me, I didn't, have and all the stories I hear it. I'm like, I'm like, a, it's like watching a movie. Like mm-hmm. I know it's real, but I don't have the felt personal direct thing with that, you know? So I can think yeah. of, I already, as you're sharing about work stuff, I can think of a friend of mine and I'm sure a lot of people I knew who grew up more in that. And it's like, there were all of these uncommunicated unconscious expectations that were not explicitly named, but in the atmosphere yes, and filtered indirectly and sublimated or shared like this. And even though they didn't say it, the environment, the medium is the message. The medium itself was saying it all mm, of the time. Yeah. You know yes, what I'm saying? It's well put. It, it was, yeah, it was this kind of um, tacit uh implication of, of of divine reciprocity and honestly even if you didn't grow up in evangelicalism it's there within mm. american culture too mm. like we mm. are a culture of kind of that it's that feature of modernity of like always upward moving always improving mm. if you are of european ancestry your ancestors left suffering on the mainland they came here it's you know for in hopes of a brighter tomorrow and new horizon that pioneering spirit it's written on our dna to expect Mm. good things the protestant work ethic you work hard Mm. you will get a return for your labor and Mm. and it and it was also this sense of agency you know for most of history people have not felt the same sense of agency over their outcomes Mm. It, it felt like either you know favor or blessing was a decision that was made by the fickle whims of the gods you know if Mm. the gods wanted to curse you they'd curse you if they wanted to bless Mm -hmm. you they'd bless you and even even within christendom in the medieval ages and things like that like there just wasn't this sense that we could control our outcomes as much as it like well if you just do the right right wellness routine you will experience health and vitality, or you just mm. got to marry the right person, find the love of your life, and you'll find belonging in 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 your family. And it's like you didn't even choose your marriage partners back in the mm. day, for the most mm. part. You didn't mm. choose a job. You were a fisherman if your dad was a fisherman, a slave if your father was a slave. You were locked into this very mm. fixed socioeconomic mm. strata, and so people just kind of you know, took life as it came and expected that suffering was just part of the deal. Now, I think autonomy and agency is a great gift and a great, but I don't begrudge it, but it has created this belief that we can control our outcomes. And then when our outcomes are bad, Mm. we think it's our fault or we think Mm. we've done something wrong. So that it's, it's Christianity, it's evangelicalism, but it's also, it's also just American culture too. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a that's a good distinction you made, Dan. Because I I think quite a bit about agency, you know, mm-hmm. and I think a a really 
real grounded and an empowering sense of agency does not have to also naturally lead to entitlement and illusions mm-hmm. and expectations. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, yeah. you can know yeah. how powerful, I mean, the gift is to know how powerful we truly are, mm-hmm. but to know that don't guarantee none of the outcomes that you think are going to happen from it and to hold those two together. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I think one of the topics mm-hmm. I delve maybe most deeply into is this idea of like finding your calling. Now, if you didn't grow up, even let me be clear there, evangelicalism was good to me in many ways. And I had a good experience. And so I'd, I want to, I want to be careful about that. It's, it's, yes, it's, and, it's and, the whipping and Amanda shared about that in the first episode. So yes, that's <laughs> yeah, I get it. I'll there's, a, there's, all that. there's the good and the bad. Let's tell the full story. Um, but one of the things that I think was potentially harmful was this idea that like you have to find the center of God's will. You have to find mm-hmm. your calling. And this was kind of drilled in into us by the subculture, you know, youth conferences and summer camp. It's like, what's your calling? Like, what is this unique ministry, job, place, people group, whatever that God has called you to minister to? And if you can just find that calling then you will live a life of fulfillment and purpose and excitement. And I, I just, I can't tell you how stressful it was because God did not make it super obviously clear to me what my calling was as is evidenced right now by my checkered employment past. I mean, like I've done everything from nonprofit urban work to social or to, um, to uh, humanitarian work, to writing, to songwriting. I mean, I've bounced all over the place. I have You're no I'm trying to do I'm... everything evangelicals are supposed to do. When is it all going to click? I've exactly. tried each major one. Yes, exactly. <laughs> what am I, what am I supposed to do? And, 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 and all of that to say that like, you may actually find your calling and find that thing that really clicks and then end up spending a year in a cancer ward or a year, you know, years of your life caring for an aging parent or a child with a disability or lose everything in some kind of economic downturn or a fire in Maui, like whatever it is, like you may lose everything. And so it's just this, I just wish someone had told me what you do, the specifics of what you do don't matter so much. They don't guarantee mm. blessing. What matters so much more is your character, the inner work, your inner resilience, your inner dependence on the Lord. Because whether or not you are working your dream job or got a thousand people, 2000 people coming to your church and it's thriving, or you're writing a book, if you make it on the best New York Times bestseller list, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. What matters is the character because that never changes that Uh you carry that with you through the hard times, the good times. And I, so I, that's one, that's one topic I'm particularly yeah. passionate about, maybe because I was, I spent so much time stressing about finding mm. my calling, currently stressing a little bit about finding my <laughs> calling about what's yeah. next for me, you know? Yeah. No, I think that's such an important thing to, to engage and to sort of take apart. And I call it like, even with preaching, I'm like, there's a practice of loosening the imagination mm-hmm. where you like say just enough things to get people to be like, huh, like the things we've always thought, like, really, you just kind of play with it. And then once you do that, now I can actually say the thing because it's loose enough to maybe, maybe creep in a little bit. That's how I think about things. Ooh, but- I'm going to use that. I'm going to use that. I'll give you credit for it because I, I think yeah. that some people have said to me like, well, does this book have a clear conclusion? Like, does God want me to be happy or does he want me to be sad? Does God like, Mm. Is there such a thing as blessing? What is goodness? Yeah. And I think what I am trying to do with this book is just loosen the imagination a little bit and say, yeah. just be careful about these talking points, faith over fear, or everything happens for a reason, or all those like little um, hobby lobby hand lettered phrases that we tend to take as gospel truth and emotional promises. Let's examine those a little bit and figure mm. out whether or not we're, you know, building our life on those things as the foundation. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's good. You know, I also, you know, I can't believe that, you know, growing up in the church, living in North Carolina, you know, still being heavily involved in preaching at your church, you know, I can't believe that you would dare to mess with the term blessed, you know, <laughs> in, in the book, you know, like yeah. that yeah. is, uh, you know, going back to some of the things you already said about 
the people wouldn't say this in the past, but Euro American, basically, you know, for white folks in the U S mm-hmm. it's like blessed is you, it's an upward trajectory, mm-hmm. yep. you know, yeah. now we can say it's for everybody, but also we've built a system that says otherwise it's not for yeah. everybody in the same way, you know, yeah. and people yeah. are starting to realize that more and more, yeah. hopefully, That's even right. though there's yeah. a lot of resistance, you know, to yeah. that. Yeah. Um, That's right. You know, we, you know, that phrase loosening the imagination, you know, you're like, mm-hmm. sometimes it's not, it's this, it's just, is, this, is it that? It can't be this. And maybe another way, it's kind of what we do, you know, mm-hmm. is that type of stuff to get people to loosen their grips just enough to see the possibility of a more open and fluid and spacious form of faith, yeah. you know, not such yeah. a rigid or whatever. Yeah, um, yeah. What, for that term, blessed, what, has been misconstrued problematic perhaps maybe in some ways misleading for some people right because eventually mm-hmm. you get to a point where there's disillusionment and disenfranchisement because expectations even if they're uncommunicated in the atmosphere mm-hmm. haven't mm-hmm. been met mm-hmm. what about yeah. that word do you work with there that you think is important yeah. to address well because I, I think i kind of what i tried to do before as i was writing the book was think about all the things that i've kind of seen that hashtag attached to you know mm-hmm. what i mean like it that hashtag blessed, you know, we bought a new house, hashtag blessed, or, you know, I um, lost 20 pounds, hashtag blessed, like, you know, just things, things like that, you know, or, and, you know, some of them, it's like, here's my adorable two-year-old hashtag blessed. Like, it's not that I don't think those things are, are blessings. Well, some of them I would maybe call into question, but, but there are things in our lives that are, are every good gift is from God. Like, I believe my daughters are a gift from God, a blessing from God. I believe that the 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 love I'm surrounded with is a blessing from God. I just think that we need to be careful when it's the things that culture has told us is good is is something you should try to achieve status, money, accolades, wealth. I want to be careful about naming those things as as blessing. I I try to kind of identify in the book three blessings that um seem to be more durable, more um, um, eternal types of blessings beyond, you know, like the five bedroom, three bathroom house or the mm. the health or the wealth. Um, but things like just being able to take delight in, mm. in, in the, the simple goodness that's around you. You know what I mean? Mm. The, the ability to be present in your life instead of always thinking about what's the next thing. What's the, what do I need to accomplish and how do I get more and and attain more and achieve more, but just say, Oh my goodness, this blueberry pie, like it's amazing. Or like mm-hmm. I, we went, I went to the river with my daughters this morning. We just got in the river. You know what I mean? Like mm, it's, cool. it's free. It's totally free. Um, what a blessing to just be mm. able to, to be present in my body and feel that water running over my feet, you know, mm. if, to, to notice your life or, and, and I talk about the blessing of humility and that like when you stop kind of seeking the crown or when you start feeling like the only way I'm going to be happy is if I accomplish these things or if I'm seen for these things, if you know who you are, not, not up here, not down here, but right where God named you to be, you're not a worm. You're not God, <laughs> you know, you have value, um, but you're a human being when you can rest in that and the humility that comes with that, there's a huge blessing in that. Mm. Um, and then I also write a little bit about the blessing of hope. I think a lot of times, again, it's one of those things that's just like in the bloodstream, whether or not we say it um, overtly that like we should be people of happiness, like people will be drawn to Christ because we're happy because we're joyful and I think we are called not to be people of happiness. I think we're called to be people of hope. I think hope is a lot different. Mm-hmm. Hope is able to name both the good and the bad mm-hmm. that is the mm-hmm. reality of living in this world and holds the two intention. Mm-hmm. When we are people of hope, we lament what is because we know what should be. We're able to see this vision for the kingdom and the justice and the righteousness and and the fairness and 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 the thriving and the the communal prosperity and we see that and we lament that it things are not that way we lament mm. death we lament grief and yet we hold out hope for what is to come so it's this mm. it's different than um kind of blind optimism it's mm. it's a, a a prophetic vision for what could be mm. and so i i just kind of try to note those things that that that, that to me and i don't want to just say like oh it's character 
it's character qualities. Those are the blessings. Cause then that kind of gives this kind of utilitarian function to suffering. Like, well, suffering's good because it makes you a better person. What doesn't kill mm. you makes you stronger. I still think that's that feature of modernity saying, well, mm. always improving, always mm. getting better, like self-help right there. But I think it's more just like, what are those eternal things that never change, no matter your circumstances? Um, and Shannon Martin, the, the writer, Shannon Martin said the other day to me, and I thought this is so good, that if a blessing's not a blessing, unless it's free for everyone, accessible for everyone, uh, um, that like, if it's, if it's a mansion, it's maybe not something you should really call a, 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 a substantive blessing, uh, because not everyone's going to have access to that. Um, is it the sky? I mean, she says that's why she keeps directing people's to lift their gaze to the sky. Cause it's this beautiful canvas above all of us. that's free for mm-hmm. everyone. Is it love? Is it belonging? Is it community? Is it justice? Those are the kinds of things that we can, we can access together if we work towards it. It's not, not wealth or, or health or, um, you know, material goods, the, the, those things won't always be accessible to everyone. And yeah. so I thought that was it. That was a good point too. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 And I, I think a distinction or something you were getting at, you know, when you said like, it's not like a, not just character in terms of something that makes us more, makes us better, mm-hmm. you know, but it's because from what I heard from you is like the interior world that opens up and what it does to us, it's not to make us more moral in a performative way. It's to make yeah. us more real. Yeah. Yeah. And more human mm-hmm. and more fragile. You know, Merton says, you know, pride makes us artificial, but humility makes us real. Mm. And this like suffering, if you allow it to be, is very clarifying, mm. very clarifying. That's why, you know, when when you're in the hardest part of your life, you know, or like, you know, you're in the worst fight in a relationship or just things are out of sort. The mm-hmm. little things that occupy 10% of your energy, what do they think about me? What are they going to worry? If I, if I took this job, what would they think? Those little unconscious things that can shape us in profound ways. When yeah. you're in real suffering, all of that goes completely mute. Yeah. You're like, yeah. that. Yes. I don't give a, I do not care what that yeah. person I don't like thinks about the job I might take right now. Because yeah. I'm yeah. dealing with so much and you're like, it clarifies now, when you return out of the intensity of it, those volume will be turned up a little, but that's why remembering mm. and seeing with clarity and having yeah. the wisdom is so important. But that to me, I'm like, what I hear from you is like, it's not some, well, stuff with a real blessing is just, I'm more moral in a performative way. Like, no, I'm more me and I'm more yeah. grateful and it's more spacious and life is more real where it's it's the it's the space within me that allows me to go to the river in the morning and be like this is it yeah yeah like what are what are we doing like this the geese were like flying south for the winter in this perfect v-shape it was like i mean it was just the uh, to see my daughter's faces watch Mm -hmm. those geese it was just like this is life this is living to like just be able to to take something simple and free like that and let it wash over you. I want to, I want to be more present in my life mm-hmm. like that. I want to notice those things. Um, and, and I, I, I think that that's, that's going to be thing. your, that's going to be your post. You're all just, I started crying when I saw a goose fly by <laughs> hashtag blessed. They're hashtag okay. Blessed. That's one, that's one way. <laughs> the geese in the V formation. I know it's true though. And I like, again, back to what Shane and Martin said is this, that idea that like, is this something for everyone? Is this something for all? And that I also want to consider that when I think about what I can, what I think are blessings in my life, is this something that can be shared with someone too? Is, is my wisdom, and maybe I call the wisdom I've gained through my suffering a blessing because it could, it could be shared with somebody. It could offer, it, it's, it's this, has this multiplication aspect to it. You know what I mean? Um, and I think, yeah, I, I I do try to answer that question in the book. Does God want us to be happy? Does God want us to be blessed? And do good decisions bring about blessing? Because I wouldn't want someone to walk away from my book saying wisdom doesn't matter. Good decisions don't matter, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying, I think that many of these decisions we make, like, yep, try to find a job that you love. Try to find a ministry that fits in, in your gifts and your your experience. Um marry somebody that is walking on the same kind of path in life as you 
all of those things, those those good decisions, growing in character, growing in wisdom, that's going to create an environment that's conducive to flourishing, not just Mm. for you, but for your neighbor, too. It doesn't mean, though, that catastrophes won't befall you. It doesn't mean that things might not go um, horribly wrong from time to time. And mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that you're yeah. going to be healthy and wealthy and happy all the time. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. but I, I try to take the, you know, the ancient Greeks, when they talked about happiness, they talked about kind of this long view of life that you could really only know if you'd had a happy life at the end of it, when you look back on everything that had happened. And I do believe that walking in the ways of God, which is what I mean by, I think he does want to bless us. He gives us a way in which to walk humility, justice, righteousness, faithfulness to our promises. When you walk in that way, it creates an environment that is conducive to flourishing. And I think for you and for your neighbor and for your family and for your friends, your community. And so that might be how I would summarize blessing now is, Mm. is this, are these decisions or these choices or these, these experiences creating an environment that is conducive in the long term to my flourishing and the flourishing of my community. Mm, That's so good. That's so good. You know, for not just thinking about this in our own individual journey, but thinking about our lives in the context of community Mm -hmm. and and sort of mutuality of interdependency relationships, right? And specifically within the church, I think about what are ways to experience, embody, and practice this countercultural and counterintuitive way of including and integrating Mm -hmm. negative or hard and challenging emotions Mm -hmm. within our faith together. You know, I think that's Mm a, to me, that's one of the big parts about suffering is like, for me, acceptance is like everything, Mm -hmm. you know, like, yeah. I tell people acceptance is a container that holds together joy and pain, light and dark and shakes it all up and turns it into one thing, which is your life. That's, yeah, oh, that's, that's good. That's good. That's where the antagonism, the withdrawing of awareness, the resistance, no acceptance. What I tell people is when it comes to hard emotions or pain, it do, you don't have to enjoy it, but you do have to learn to embrace it. And that's mm-hmm. one of the last things I think people learn how to do is to embrace. Like if you could see me on video right now, my hands are out as if I'm embracing someone. You have mm-hmm. to embrace the hard parts and the suffering with the same open heartedness as you do for the good things, you know? And that's yeah. one of the last things because we're so wired to yeah. withdraw and avoid, you know? So yes, yes. In, in a, as a, a person who has a history in music and preaching, right? You've ticked all, you've, you're trying to cover all the evangelical bases. Like, God, what am I, what am I, so, do I need to be a lead pastor to try? Yeah, what am I supposed to do next? What am I supposed to do? do Missionary, I, to I don't know. Church? <laughs> yeah, um, oh gosh. <laughs> Please, with, Lord, with, no. <laughs> with those different, you know, experiences within the tradition, within the church, within the world as a whole, what are some of those ways, are things you've experienced or ways that communities can practice that? together. Mm, Is there ways to do that? Yeah. Well, I think I I love what you say about acceptance, acceptance, because and that's part that was to me, one of the main goals of the book was just normalizing suffering. Because again, Mm. I I do think we live in this culture that says we we can we can opt out of suffering, we can Mm. life hack our way around it, we can we can circumvent it. Um, I think a lot of people have the wrong goal for therapy, you know, mm. and the, 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 therapy is to make the pain go away, mm. uh, you know, or church is to make the pain go away. My faith, God is to make the pain go away. And I, what I'm trying to kind of make um, a case for is that, no, the pain is always going to be there. Therapy is a great tool to help you learn how to carry it. Faith mm. will help you carry it. God's going to help you carry it. Community will help you carry it. Um but it it is suffering is part of life. And that and that's why I sometimes say, like, I, I want us to kind of spur one another on to be able to remain in hard circumstances. Now there's a million caveats that are needed here when it comes to like say marriage. There are abusive marriages that must be escaped mm-hmm. and condemned totally. and prosecuted. Please hear me. There are jobs that are just not a good fit. You can resign your job. It's okay. But I think that we are so prone to believe that we are entitled to ease and happiness Mm -hmm. that the minute the job gets hard, the minute the marriage stops being relationally, romantically fulfilling, 
the, you know, the minute, you know, the, the place gets boring or hard, we leave, we want to escape, we, we divorce, we split up, we resign, we move. And what I'm trying to say is like, if you can endure the hard, it creates, mm. I think, again, that long-term flourishing. And I just, but I just don't think people are willing to accept it. I, that's why I think mm. parenting is a huge wake-up call mm. because you cannot quit your kids. Like mm. you can, I mean, people do like, yeah. please, I, I need to be careful how I say that. If but, you're desiring to st- stay and be faithful and stick around. Yeah. They, it's a lot harder to like offload your kids than a job or even a marriage or most things in life. You kind of are stuck with them mm. and you know, you can't you can't create boundaries with your kids. My kids have no clue what boundaries are, you know, especially at this age. Mm. Um, it's like, they constantly need you. They constantly, and, and, and that goes against the grain of this, like, I don't know, it's, it's kind of about me and what I want, my personal fulfillment and what makes me happy and what creates, what brings out the best in me and what makes for my best life. Kids will push against that. And, and I, and that's why I think that like, that's what I want us to do. I'm I'm not really answering your question because I'm avoiding it because I don't know how. <laughs> I don't know how to do this. But I think to normalize difficulty within marriage, like right. a lot of people were like, oh, I can't believe how brave you were to talk about how you went to marriage counseling. I'm like, please, like, we got to be honest with that. Like every single person, every young couple who I've said, oh, yeah, we almost broke up when we were engaged. We had to go to marriage counseling. The relief I see on their face because they've been there too. And they think they're abnormal, but Mm. to a person, I don't, I know of, I don't think I know of one single marriage that hasn't been through a really, really hard time, Mm. but we act like that's not normal. We act like Mm. that's not what the story should be. And so just telling our stories, like telling the stories of our pain matters so much because Mm -hmm. it's going to help somebody realize I'm not, I'm not an anathema. I'm not Mm. outside the realm of normal. This, I can endure this. If this person endured it, then I can endure it again with all the caveats of abuse and safety, all that, Mm -hmm. please know that that I'm, I'm, I'm speaking carefully here, but, but I I just think to, to endure a hard job, to endure a hard season Mm -hmm. of ministry, to, to know you don't have to leave just because it's getting hard. You can, and there are seasons that we sometimes step away from things or we flex and we steward new giftings or new callings, but you don't have to quit something just because it's hard. Mm, yeah. Yes. And that that's a very important discerning process for people to make is like, there's a difference between something being completely toxic and un, and just bad mm-hmm. and you just dealing with the hard parts of something that's good. Yeah. It's hard and good. You know, that journey of putting, turning two into one, taking fragments and integrating them into a whole of Mm -hmm. negative emotions, things we normally put as antagonisms is such a part of the journey. Even as a person who's done, you know, like officiated weddings over the years and still do, I'm like, when I do a wedding, I'm like, I'm simultaneously like, I can choke, I can be moved to tears. My eyes well up. I'm so happy because in the in the, in the realm of human connection, this is one of the most profound, amazing yeah. fidelity, faithfulness. What you have together is like to the two com- people committing themselves to each other. To me, speaks to how the universe works in terms of connection and sticking around yeah. all that stuff. Yeah. And at the same time, a part of me is like, don't do it because. Yeah. After, I mean, we just, my wife and I just had our 16th year wedding anniversary, mm. you know, you're 10, but we've known each other for over 20 years. So it's like, yeah. man, 10, 20 years in, you're like, no, it is good, but I also know what it will require. Yeah, it is good. And along the way, like we had a joke in our church called like granola moments. Cause I'm like, I, it was a story of someone who was in a relationship and like they leave a, a grocery store and they're, they're, they're 20 in their twenties at the time they're fighting about something. And then one of the people like opens a bag of granola and starts like chucking in the car. Like I went, if I'm with young couples, I'm like, that's a part of it. Like those yeah. insane moments, like yeah. there will be moments where you're alone and you think no other relationship is this crazy. And what I'm telling to you is they all have, everyone has granola moments, whether it's granola or not. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I, anybody saw this, this is insanity right now. Yeah. I threw a can of Folgers coffee across the room and it went (laughs) flying, you know, the coffee grinds are everywhere. When we moved, when we left the house, we found those coffee grinds 
underneath all the furniture. And I was like, oh, remember that time I got <laughs> a little crazy. Like it happens. Like you, mm. you, there, life will, life will make it so that you realize just how disappointing of a human being you are. Like you are not, like if you think that you have this character that's above explosion, like marriage, mm. parenthood, a difficult job, a cancer diagnosis, life mm. will draw that out. And you will mm. see like, I am only human. This mm. is hard. I am capable of, of, of hurting someone emotionally, deeply. We're all capable of these very, very difficult moments. And, and I just, yeah, I'm with you. Like, I do want to sometimes say to people like, just, just, I know what this is going to require of you and it's mm. going to be really, really hard and mm. that's normal, but American um, kind of abundant, you know, the best life now theology, you know, live your best life uh, ideology will say, no, you don't have to suffer. You don't, you, you, if you make good decisions, you'll be good. You'll reach self-actualization, you know, you'll just, mm. you know, self-discovery and, the divine or that whatever I mean all of that stuff and it's kind of like no you're human and life is really hard mm. and I just wish we would be more honest with each other about it and also life is really beautiful too mm. life is so beautiful and when we can just really be present in the full spectrum of our lives the good and the bad like it is such a gift it's such a gift but we, we've just got to normalize it mm. for each other yeah yeah it's so good yeah, we, as we get towards wrapping up, you know, I've like, even early on, my wife and I started our church when we were 28. Wow. Which is hilarious. <laughs> it is a little comical, but hey, you had energy back then probably. No, hey, and I, we, my wife and I were married for 10 years before we had kids and we started our church, you know, for like three to four years until we had our first. And yeah, I'm like, yeah. But now looking back, I'm like the fact that people would plan a church with kids, I'm like, is insane to me. Just, you know, like everything that goes into No, that. I agree. I feel like people who have young kids should be like, nothing should be required of them. They oh should have gosh. like the easiest, most mindless jobs for about four years. Uh, Do not give them any important responsibilities. <laughs> and, uh, but also at that time, like, you know, we started when we were 28, but even four years into it, when my wife and I were 32, like we were probably the oldest people in the church at the time, besides mm -hmm. like one couple, you know, yeah, so yeah, it, was, yeah. it was very like, you know, it was like that. But, you know, even early on going into the church and with my own journey of like being very present to suffering mm -hmm. and awakening and the connection between those two, that was like how my journey with God began. So that was very, mm -hmm. thankfully, a lot of the deep embodied knowing and trusting of facing and feeling that which is hardest mm -hmm. to face and feel and how if you hold that space long enough, it leads to a whole yeah. a larger space of awakening, even as you're still carrying pain, et cetera. Yeah. You know, it's like, how are we not, I wasn't using the language at the time, but it's really like, how are we not bypassing? How are we not moving mm -hmm. around this? How are we leading people through this? Which yeah. is funny when you have a church of all 20 year olds, because I would preach sermons and be like, none of what I'm saying to you now matters because yeah. you don't care. You know, because you're just like, hey, you know, like we're going not experientially real for you right uh, now. Yeah, but I'm like, but in five years, 10 years, mm -hmm. 15 years, this will all be very, very important. Yeah. But one of the it's it's so funny. Some, you know, one of the things people loved about what we did was how we did our Good Friday gatherings. Mm -hmm. And the way we would do it is we would do the stations of the cross and so we used to walk around our neighborhood and stop at different parts of the neighborhood. And then sometimes we would do it like in more of like a studio, like kind of like whatever, like gathering type of space. Yeah. But what we would do is we had this flow of Good Friday because for me, I'm not like Good Friday. Here's an atonement theory. You know, for me, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. Good Friday, it's God's solidarity. Yes. In the human experience, yes. Yes. you know, of I am also in this. And as yeah. I not only show you the way through suffering, but empower you to go through it, there is resurrection after mm, all, this, which is yeah. what we're saying. That's good. Yeah. You know, that's what yeah. we're talking about. Yeah, exactly. It's death and resurrection. And what we would do for that practice is I would get up as sort of like a curating person and I would, someone would read the stations of the cross or maybe I did. I would give a quick 20 to 30 seconds, like Jesus 
this is a moment where Jesus was abandoned by the people he counted on the mm. most. Mm. And I would say something yeah. like, we all know what it's like to feel abandoned. And then someone, this was all predetermined. Someone would come up, sit in the chair, or if we walked around the neighborhood, they would be there. And a person would tell a story of when they were, when mm, they felt abandoned. That's so good. That's and so, so it's, good. it's like, here's the story. And this is all of our stories. Yeah. And then they would share that. And when they fit, and then I'm, I'm saying like, this is like gut wrenching, like, holy shit. I can't believe yeah. this person's even saying this to all Willing these to people share this, right yeah. now. Yeah. Like yeah. those type yeah. of real yeah. moments and they would share it and nobody would say anything. Mm. Nobody would be like, but we love you and you're going to be fine. You know, yeah. and God, the best in the future. Like the things our ego wants to do. Cause we don't know how to hold the suffering of mm-hmm. others. Cause we don't mm-hmm. really know how to hold suffering in our own life. You that's know, that's right. why, that's why people, bypass that's why people offer these cliche glib answers or tell you a bible verse and we would say yeah. hey no one says anything after so they would share we wouldn't say anything we would sing just one chorus to a song together mm. so we would just that's sing good. the mutual singing yeah. and then we go to the next station i'm explaining when the people you count on the most weren't there for you someone gets up shares a story we sing a chorus we would go through the whole thing and people are like that was my favorite thing I've ever experienced, which is hilarious. Cause you're like, why? Cause we're all saying how hard this is. Yeah. Cause the whole thing is a mutual normalizing of pain and suffering mm-hmm. and the solidarity of the spirit of God through each other to carry us through. And I'm yeah. telling you like that thing, you're like for 10 years of a church, you're like those were some of the things yeah. to me. I'm like, those are the kinds of communal practices of mm-hmm. how do we, carry this, share this and do so in a hopeful way. We're not saying yeah. this is it. Yeah. Life sucks. It's like, no, this is all hard. Yeah. And somehow mysteriously, it's still all okay. Yeah. You know? Oh, that's so good. The wheels in my head are turning now. I'm like, we're going to do, we're going to do something like that at our church this year. It's, it's so good. It's so just finding those ritualistic spaces, whether that's Advent or Good Friday mm. or Ash Wednesday, or at funerals or whatever the case may be that to, 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 to really hold space for those stories of pain and not to immediately wrap them up with a silver lining, you know, to, to Mm. recognize the holiness of, of the 40, the 40 day wait, the 40 year wait, the, the, the waiting for, for the incarnation for generation after generation, like those weights are real and they're holy. And we often live in them, each of us. Mm. And to just, know that you're not alone in that Mm, mm, yeah Mm. yeah this was this was so good so for people listening in amanda held opel holy unhappiness god goodness in the myth of the blessed life i find it on amazon i'm sure barnes and noble and all kinds of spaces And I think, you know, books like this are so important because I've told you the first time there's just a sense of solidarity I have with people that are willing to be like, no, this is all really hard, but then yeah. it's also okay. And the more you yeah. accept that it's hard, the more okay it is actually. That That's actually true. The whole thing, you know. Gosh, I can't tell you the freedom that comes when you quit just like bracing for pain or quit trying to avoid pain at all costs. It's actually, you can just be free to live into your life and it with the good and the bad and and mm. that's yeah that's been a grace to me for sure yeah yeah the, that like i said before about the not enjoying it but having mm. to learn how to embrace it mm. i'm like sometimes the role of the shepherd the role of the pastor is to on a thursday afternoon look out their window and shed a tear and be honest about what's in them what yeah. expectations have not been met in their life the people around them how to mm-hmm. surrender them and their own yeah. life to God, grieve over it. And after that, be like, and now we can keep going. I'm not going to perform my way out of this. Not yeah. going to avoid it. Not going to just come up with the next sermon series to convince myself I'm doing. No, I have to. Uh, my work is to let myself feel shitty this afternoon. Yeah, that's right. That's the, that that's the real work. That's the work of a shepherd. Yeah. Yeah. That's And because now I'm, I'm offering my life from a deeper place and not from a performative avoidance, which creates the atmosphere where people will pick that up you know, yeah, unknowingly yeah. And, and we'll yeah. keep doing this. So yeah, so this, good. uh, I love it. You know, I love people with the courage to, to say those things. And also mm-hmm. that's why I started with the question. I, 
And more and more, I just love the stories of people who keep having the courage to create and believe the things we make matter and the songs we write matter, the books we write matter, the time we spend with people matters because there's many reasons to to not believe that in life mm, after a while. Yeah, that's true. But when you, yeah. but, but, and this is to the book, the work you're describing to me is what allows us to keep going really, really well. Mm. You know how to hold all that together. Yeah. So yeah, not just the book, but appreciate the, the energy and the life that you bring into the world. And, Thank uh, you. You know, if you don't end up planning a church and the third book comes out, you maybe you could be the first third time guest. We'll see how that works. Okay. Out. All right. Well, that sounds good. I'll, oh I'll God, I did. I planned a church. I did it all. Can I just chill for a little bit? Be happy, please. <laughs> oh, I hope this is not a prophetic word. Oh. <laughs> and uh, so before we go, can you let people know how they can tap in, follow along with your journey as a whole more? Yeah. Um, well, I, you can go to my website, amandaheldopelt.com, um, and you can sign up for my newsletter. I do a monthly newsletter. I'm not going to hit you up every week, um, but I share some uh, monthly reflections in there. And, and then I'm sometimes on Instagram uh, under Amanda Held Opelt, and also that other website that formerly known as Twitter. Mm. Uh, I'm I'm there under the same name. So Nice. Yeah. Cool. Yes. Go get the book, Holy Unhappiness, God, Goodness, and the Myth of the Blessed Life. Amanda, thank you so much for, for, for this time today. Thank you for having me. Yeah.